0: Welcome to Paradigms on WBKM. This is episode number 129, Sunday, November 18th,
1: 2012. Touch the earth. Touch the earth, touch the earth where you stand Find your place in this creation It's a source of inspiration Touch the earth While you can Touch the earth Touch the earth Where you stay Don't abuse the gift of power Looking down from your ivory tower life, you're no outsider, no. So give thanks to the great provider, yeah. Oh yeah, you got to touch the earth. It's the
2: earth
0: Hey there! Good evening. Welcome to another episode of Paradigms. My name is Baruch. Happy to be with you tonight. You just heard Vermont artist Derek Jordan with his piece "Touch the Earth." Tonight's show focuses on the Curry Stone Design Prize. You're gonna get to learn about what the prize is and meet some of the prize winners and hear lots of great music, of course. So let's get right into that and. Uh, meet the curator of the Currystone Design Prize, Chi Perlman. Hello, Chi, and welcome to Paradigms.
3: Hello, Baruch. It's a a pleasure to be here.
0: I'm very excited to uh, be presenting the Currystone Design Prize winners again, and I wonder if for our listeners if you could just tell people a bit about the Currystone Design Prize, what it's about, and and how you got involved with it.
3: The Currystone Design Prize is trying to find an angle and a side of design that is maybe not usually recognized and not generally taught in academic institutions. It's the notion that design, which is already pretty much about solving problems, about the things that are around us, buildings and and, uh, artifacts and things in our lives, but to take the side of that Um, problem-solving, and uh, the basic design principles, and to use the thinking behind that in ways that are much more community and social uh, activist-driven. And what's happening right now in the world of design is there's almost, we could call it a movement, towards social um, impact design. Mm. And what that means is Really, to take the initiative, designers who take the initiative to say, "Here's a problem. I'm not going to wait for a client or a government or some kind of a competition to ask me to step in and make a change. I'm going to take the initiative and do it myself." And so, over five years, what's happened is, is that we've been able to, through a large network of nominators to identify these kinds of projects and have realized that they all, as different as they are, come from very similar ideas and motivations. You know, sometimes I like to say we're we're looking at apples and pineapples with our winners,
2: mm. but
3: in fact, they all come from kind of a, a mission to engage their design, problem solving and thinking in a way that can help immediately or in, in, a, in a more hands-on and community level.
0: seems like all your prize winners are doing projects that, that help people where they are, and no one seems to be focused on the prize, as it were, or the money or the status. They're focused on the service.
3: Well, I think what happens when you do recognize these kinds of projects is that it brings visibility to them and elevates them in a larger um, forum. So, if if anything, if this prize can shine a little bit more light on this kind of work, it acts as almost a, a catalyst. It acts as a as an affirmation to to give students and other designers a, almost permission, if you will, to take the initiative themselves for the kinds of things that they're looking to be more active in and more activist about.
0: How did you become involved, and what is your role?
3: I have a background, um, a very long background in the design world. I spent many years as the editor of a magazine called ID Magazine, which is a design magazine. Unfortunately, it's not here anymore. It's gone the fate of many publications, Mm. but it it gave me uh, almost the kind of um, front row seat to to so many of the designers who are working out there, and, um, and, and just by being a journalist and, um, and covering all kinds of design um, across, really across the spectrum of the diff- different disciplines. So my background as a journalist, uh, you know, has, th- what they say about journalists is that uh, um, but there are people who are conducting their education in public. Well, that's absolutely true.
0: <laughs> I concur.
3: That's <laughs> uh,
4: good. <laughs>
0: good Well, it's very exciting and uh, I know that you know you' you're having the, the the prize dinner tonight and the conference tomorrow and this will air after those things have happened, but people can go to the Curry Stone Design Prize website and all the websites of the winners and see these amazing projects, not just this year, but all the previous year's winners. It's quite a collection of innovators.
3: That's absolutely true, and one of the things that we do that I think is, um, is probably our signature part of this process is that in order to help spread the word and to tell the stories of these winners, we produced a short little documentary film about each one of them, just a short six-minute film, but it's it's shot on location, and we actually go to where they work, um, whether it's Palestine or Brooklyn or Rotterdam or uh, anywhere, anywhere in the world, wherever they are, and, and uh, we're getting a huge geographic spread at this point to make these little films, and, and for us they're a very important part, of the programming of the storytelling because it's how you can click on the website, uh, look at this little six minute video and really get a feeling for the passion and the mission of each of these winners.
0: And their inspiration is infectious. I watch these videos and I think, wow, what can I do? What are my ideas that I can do? <laughs> you know? So it's it's really it's incredible. And while I know this is not the most well-known prize in the world or the most well-known foundation in the world. In a quiet way, Curry Stone Foundation is affecting many, many lives.
3: Well, it's wonderful to hear you say that, and it's wonderful to have your vote of confidence. And um, Baruch, we invite you to jump right in. (laughs) You can join us. (laughs) All
0: right. I'm there. Chi, thank you so much for talking with me, and uh, have a great time tonight and tomorrow, and uh, look forward to broadcasting this on Sunday.
3: Oh, thank you. We're excited. Thank you so much.
0: Chi Perlman, curator of the Curry Stone Design Prize. If you go to paradigms.bz and click on Currystone Design Prize, you can check out the films Chi was talking about. Each prize winner has a film up about their project, their work. So check that out. Let's get into some music and then we'll be back to meet one of the prize winners. Here is something from Cozy Sheridan called Grand Design. Wow. Called Design. The singer is Mary Amsterberg. Cozy Sheridan before that with Grand Design. And now we're going to meet the first of the designers from the Currystone Design Prize this year, here from the Mass Design Group, Alan Ricks. Alan Ricks, welcome to Paradigms.
5: Great, thanks for having me. Uh,
0: you are one of the winners of the Currystone Design Prize, the, the Mass Group. Could you tell my listeners a little bit about your organization and what you're doing? And I know you're involved in projects in Rwanda, Haiti, Burundi, the United States. What, what are you all doing? It sounds really like some amazing stuff.
5: Mass Design Group is a nonprofit architecture and design firm that's focused on illustrating the, the power of design to affect change and improve health. Um, What we're we're working on is a wide array of projects that are based on strong partnerships with NGOs, governments, and communities to understand the challenges they face in achieving their missions, be it uh, education or health, and then through the lens of design, see how we can not only amplify the success of that mission, but create reverberance change that empowers communities through training, job creation and environmental friendly practices.
0: I'm looking at your website I'm seeing hospitals, schools, I'm seeing buildings that serve the the public, the community where they are that you all have designed and built And I'm curious what's the ethic behind what how is your design? serving people in a different way than someone else's?
5: Well, I think there's, there's a growing concern within the architecture and design world that uh, practitioners have become removed from the public interest and are increasingly isolated into to projects that are directed at the wealthy. Our motivation is the idea that design is never neutral. It either hurts or it helps. So there isn't a kind of apolitical practice. There's only ones that choose to kind of be naive to the role they're playing and that architects and designers have a a unique ability to serve as facilitators of uh, multidisciplinary groups, the clients, communities, experts in all of these areas and to kind of understand how the built environment plays improving
0: lives. So you have an overarching concept focused on public health, and I see that um, one of the people who inspired some of your work is Paul Farmer, who I've been trying to get an interview with. If you can get me one, I'll send you a chocolate in the mail. Uh, <laughs> uh, can you talk about that public health mission?
5: Certainly. So Mass is rooted in the ideas of Parkinson's Health. They've really mentored us. In, in the role we have the opportunity to play in, in improving people's health and lives. And what he taught us is that there's a kind of false uh, dichotomy about the way to approach these things, that some people think that you have to address the immediate needs, you know, kind of stem the bleeding by providing kind of clinical care if we look at the medical analogy. And other people will say we need to look at the social determinants of of disease, the the things that are the precursors to to illness. You know, that could be considered things like lack of access to education, racism, um, political structures. Mm -hmm. And what we need to do is be affecting things at all scales. So NASS strives to set an example by building discrete buildings that can show that this is possible that buildings can improve health, buildings can improve lives. But then we also need to look at the top-down side of things to create the policies and the the advocacy and the education to assure that these types of initiatives are both replicable
0: and scalable. Do you feel that you're succeeding in your mission?
5: Yeah, I think we're, we're seeing that Mass has been able to demonstrate the viability of this model, not only that it can affect change, but it it is a sustainable model of practice that hopefully will inspire other architects and designers. We don't think that this is uh, isolated to the nonprofit, global health, or international world, but this is something that can be applied to everyday practice. And I think as we've seen a kind of groundswell of support and interest within the students and within academia kind of coming up, we see that this is where people would like to be. Most people don't become architects just to to kind of design unimpactful things. They they get into the practice with an aspiration to do positive things in the world. And what we're trying to do is expose the opportunity to do that Um, and that it, it doesn't have to be, a kind of isolated subsect of the field, but one that uh, that everyone has the opportunity to partake in.
0: How will uh, winning this prize impact your work? Well, th- this
5: prize offers an opportunity to impact our work in a variety of ways. I mean, first and foremost, math is reliant on fundraising in order to provide the holistic services we provide. While we believe that clients can and should support designers and architects to provide the kind of fundamental design services, uh, the ability to affect change on a, a broader scale requires a kind of intensive amount of resources that most clients could not afford. And that's to run the kind of training, capacity building, education programs that we do throughout the construction process as well as to uh, support the research that we do to uh, actually quantify the impact we've had and understand what were the innovations that were successful. And this is a kind of self-fulfilling cycle that fuels innovation. So donations, Masses of 51C3, and the nonprofit are required to fulfill that cycle. Secondly, the thing that Curry Stone has been doing is really raising the profile of uh, practices that are engaged in this type of work, uh, calling attention to them and showing that, that this is, is really the way of the future of design practice.
0: Well, congratulations.
5: Well, thanks so much. It's a, a pleasure to speak with you, and, and thanks for uh, the work you're doing to advocate for this type of
0: work. If you check out the film about the Mash Design Group or go to their website, which is also linked uh, on paradigms.bz, and see what they're doing. Just incredible stuff, building schools and hospitals and working with Paul Farmer. Really, really, really good work. So happy that the Mass Design Group is getting this recognition, winning the Currystone Design Prize. Let's get into some more music, and then we'll be back to meet another one of the prize winners. Here from his most recent album is Trey Anastasio with a song called Perfect for Tonight's Show, architect.
6: so long, so long, architects make a man, architects make a and never change a point of view, when I run dry, I stop away.
0: Simon and Garfunkel of course so long Frank Lloyd Wright one of the most famous architects that ever came out of the United States people who aren't even architecture freaks know who Frank Lloyd Wright was before that architect from Trey Anastasio's latest album Traveler well we're going to meet now another one of the winners of the Currystone Stone Design Prize from Cup in Brooklyn Christine Gaspar. Christine, welcome to Paradigms.
7: Thanks for having me.
0: I'm happy to talk with you. You're one of the winners of the Currystone Design Prize, and your project is the Center for Urban Pedagogy. Can you tell us about that?
8: Sure. Um, Center for Urban Pedagogy, or CUP for short, is a nonprofit organization based in Brooklyn, New York. And our mission is to use the power of design and art and visual culture to increase meaningful civic engagement, particularly for historically underrepresented communities.
0: What precisely is your role in this this interesting organization?
8: Um, I'm the executive director of CUP. We're still a fairly small organization. We have five full-time staff, um, but all of our projects are these big collaborations. So we're kind of a hub and smoke model. We're the staff for the hub, and then we have all these different spokes with uh, more people around them for each project. And, and so I do, you know, a bit of everything, <laughs> but um, I'm, I'm really involved in kind of overseeing the projects at, at the highest level. So, you know, kind of helping keep the agenda for, for what we're trying to focus our work on for the next year and kind of looking at the overall framing of the projects. Um, but I do still work directly on some of the projects, particularly in a new program that we're forming now. So we're just sort of developing it called Public Access Design, it's really about creating a way for community organizations that want to work with us to apply on a kind of quick turnaround set of projects. So that every two months we have an open call for issues um, and groups can come and apply to us. And, and um, we, we work with them and with the designer and try to turn out projects within a short like three to four month time period so that they can really get our tools on really, really pressing kind of timely issues. And for us, it's really about helping people have the knowledge of the complex policies and planning issues that shape their neighborhoods so that they can more effectively participate in shaping those things.
0: So what does all that actually mean you do? How does that show?
8: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. For us, what it means is that We create different kinds of partnerships with community organizations and advocacy groups that are kind of working on the ground in their communities on these issues, Um, and then our staff and designers and artists and other kinds of visual thinkers that are good at breaking down complex information. And so our projects are always collaborations of those folks. And what we do is we kind of come together and look at a particular issue that a community is struggling with and that they're really trying to understand better so that they can organize around it and they can you know, kind, of kind of stay in it. And what we do is we break down that issue and we create some kinds of final product that has an accessible visual explanation of that issue. So it could be anything from a poster to, you know, an animation that goes online or they get shared in community meetings or something like um, an interactive workshop tool that organizers can use to train their constituents.
0: So you help people bring their ideas into a visual format that allows other people to get it.
8: Yeah, and it's often, it's not people's ideas necessarily, but it's, you know, systems that are kind of out there that people want to understand better so that they mm-hmm. can engage with them. So it might be something like a public policy that's impacting their community or, you know, a, a planning issue or a set of planning decisions that are being made um, that, that people sort of don't understand or kind of want to have a, a better understanding of so that they can they can engage in, in you know, kind of giving feedback on that.
0: Fascinating. I'm I'm looking at your website and there's all these very many different... Uh, umbrellas and projects that you all are part of that Mm -hmm. um, are so interesting and exciting and your role is one I never would have dreamed up. (laughs) Yeah. How did this happen? That's a great question. Uh, COP was
8: originally founded by a a group of people who kind of had different backgrounds. They had backgrounds in, you know, art and architecture and policy and they, they kind of started looking at different things in the city that they were curious about, things that they wanted to understand better. Um, and they started doing these these kinds of, you know, one-off projects on things that they were interested in. And some of those projects ended up being things like publications, like little zines, or um, exhibits. Like, there was a, an exhibit that was at the Storefront for Art and Architecture here in New York um, in, in 2001, I think, called Building Code, that was really looking at all these different facets of New York City's, um, you know, building code and how it impacts different communities. And and so at first, those projects were sort of just these interesting visual things, and you could learn from them, but they weren't really directed at any particular audience. Mm -hmm. Um, And over time, we found through these collaborations that came about through putting those projects together, and the way that they kind of spoke to different people, that we could do that work in a more applied way. And so eventually, those the sort of processes of researching those issues and kind of making them visual turned into the, the methodologies that we have now, where... You know, we're still taking complex issues and explaining them, but we're doing it in partnership with groups that are already interested in understanding those issues and are really kind of struggling to bring them to a particular community or a particular audience. And so we work with them and with that audience to make something that's really tailored to their particular needs.
0: One of the things I find really interesting is, you know, the the emphasis on the visual and the way that imagery stimulates thought cognition that's different from the way words do you know so mm-hmm. you're functioning as a certain part of the the brain in a way to yeah. help access <laughs> the less linear approach to things
8: right Yeah, and and we're often working with audiences that aren't engaged by the the format that these things exist in normally. So, you know, if you go, if you want to understand public policy, you have to go find a bunch of documents and spend a lot of time, like, first reading them and then trying to figure out what those words mean um, and then trying to figure out what it means for you. Um, And so we spend a lot of time saying, okay, well, how do we explain this as visually as possible? But then also, how do we explain it? the audience that we're talking to in particular. So if it's an audience that speaks a different language or that comes from a different cultural background, how do we bridge that and get it to them? And there's been been some really interesting research um, that I've been reading more and more about, about how visual learning kind of takes place in a different way, and and it allows for better retention and kind of memory around these complex issues, too. So we really try to incorporate that into the way that we produce our tools.
0: Back in the 80s, I was involved in a lot of workshops. Presentations, And we were uh, heavily engaged in using what we then called super learning, which was mm-hmm. involving color and form with music as part like of the creating the learning environment to stimulate more of the brain. And there was all this Buckminster Fuller stuff and the book called The Aquarian Conspiracy, Marilyn Ferguson. And there was a lot of talk about finding ways to stimulate the corpus callosum in the brain, which... Is mm-hmm. the part where the two parts hemispheres communicate through by doing this mm-hmm. and that it created a more powerful learning experience. So, yeah,
8: that's really interesting. And one of the things that that I think. I'm struck by how effective it is every time we do this. We have a series of workshop tools, and we we really created them to be as interactive as possible. So, you know, having participants in the workshop kind of come up and put information, you know, on a wall or on a board, you know, and kind of be interacting with different uh, physical elements, kind of tactile elements, and the kind of learning that you see happen there, where people are physically engaged with it, I think is also quite striking. And it just it's it's such a different level and it's such a deeper level than we see otherwise.
0: Takes people completely out of the ideological, the preconceived. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious to know how the Curry Stone Design Prize will impact Cup.
8: Well, it's already impacting us, and that so many wonderful people have reached out to us to congratulate us and to um, you know, to say that they've come across our work through, through the announcement of the awards. So it's been really exciting to just have that exposure and have more, you know, more people that can support our work, but also more people that want to collaborate with us and, and use this kind of work in their own fields. So we're really excited about that. Um, and then of course there's a the cash prize, and that's always a a wonderful thing for a nonprofit to get. So we're we're really excited to have that money, and it's money that's not tied to a specific project, so we can really be strategic about investing in the organization so that you know we're increasing our ability to, to sustain ourselves and to, to meet more needs and have greater impact so, so that's very exciting for us
0: I congratulate you as well and I think what you're doing is is very exciting it's so exciting to see the approach you're taking to bringing this information to people. It seems like it really helps support a more participatory society
8: oh, great. Thank you so much. That's exactly what we're trying to do well,
0: so Right on Well, thank you. Well, have
8: a good day. Thanks so much.
0: I enjoyed talking with Christine very much and checking out the work on their website and seeing what they're doing, bringing information to people in a way that allows people to really access it, information that's kind of basic about how we live, about systems in our cities. And check out their website. I think you'll find it really interesting and actually also fun. And there's a lot of really cool information there because... Examples of their work are up. So thank you, Christine. Let's hear a little more music, some Brooklyn themed music, and uh, then we'll be back with another one of the prize winners from the Curry Stone Design Prize 2012. You're listening to Paradigms on WBKM. Mm-hmm. Last exit to Brooklyn from Dire Straits. Before that, we heard something from The Tender Few called Sunny Plan, the City. And Steely Dan started us out with Brooklyn from Can't Buy a Thrill. Real oldie. Well, let's meet the th- third one of the Curry Stone Design Prize winners that I was able to speak with this week. Um, and then we'll come back and talk about who the other winners are and, and finish up the show of special importance right now since the shooting war has escalated again between Israel and Palestine. The next person we're going to meet is a a Palestinian architect working with an organization in Palestine called Rewak. Here's Fida Tuma. Fida, welcome to Paradigms. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you on the show as one of the winners of the Curry Stone design prize
7: yeah it's actually it's a pleasure and an honor actually to be
0: here and they,
7: receive the prize yeah
0: they always honor amazing people so I want to know about your project and what you're doing please tell my listeners
7: all right I'll tell you the long story and
0: <laughs> good
7: okay the walk started 21 years ago which makes us yeah which started in 1991. At that time, uh, the woman who started the office is called Saad Amiri. She's an architect. And 21 years ago, there was no office or organization that cared for architectural heritage in Palestine. Architectural heritage was not on the priority, and I'm sorry to say it's still not the priority of our government. So this woman in 1991 starts a nonprofit. She calls it Rewaq. And the first task the Ruwak started with is to document. Because back then, we didn't know actually how many buildings there were in Palestine and what kinds of buildings were we talking about and where are they located. We had no such information. So our first project at Ruwak for 10 years was to document and survey all the buildings that were built prior to 1948 in Palestine. It took us 10 years, as I said, to get the registry ready. During that time, we started experimenting with restoration because also, at that time, the knowledge to restore and rehabilitate historic buildings was not there. A bunch of architects worked with Fad. they experimented with mixtures, they consulted with traditional builders who still existed or lived by then. So, a few projects were implemented here and there. The big push was in 2001. In 2001, the political situation in Palestine became very difficult. With the Intifada and the problems happening, unemployment rates all over Palestine were over 50% in some places, And that's when the, our marriage between job creation and building restoration started. We were very fortunate to have um, a partner, the Swedish uh, Agency for Development. And we developed that project, and since then, that was 10 years ago or 11 years ago, since then we have been able to restore around 100 buildings in that project and create more than 180,000 working days all over the West Bank. Wow. Yeah. RUAC is not the only organization in Palestine that works in cultural heritage now. We are the first ones. Uh, after RUWAG, there are three other organizations that do almost the same thing we do. But RUWAG is the only organization that's not geographically bound. Other organizations are bound by the city they work in. So our reach, unfortunately, now we, cannot, we have no access to Gaza. We hope we can access Gaza in the future. We're having some talks for the university there. Yes. We used to work in Jerusalem, but after 2000, with the checkpoints, we are not able to access Jerusalem either. So now we only work in the West Bank, from north to south, all over. In 2007, while the, the job creation through restoration project was happening, Along that, there were other many parallel projects like community awareness activities, community mobilization activities, research publications. We have 13 books so far. But in 2007, we had another shift in the work, And that was, it was not enough to restore one building in one village and leave. Sure, that building made a difference. We made, in every building, became a public space for the community. But then it wasn't enough. From the registry that we did 10 years ago, prior to that, we know that there are 50 villages or towns in the West Bank and Gaza that if saved, we will be saving 50% of what we own. And that became our dream and our obsession since 2007 until today. Mm -hmm. And to save those 50% of the buildings we own, we started a larger scale project, which meant the regeneration of historic centers as a whole, not just one building. We're talking about neighborhoods, facades, streets, infrastructure, street furniture, etc. So that's
0: kind of our story. Wow. You seem to have a very powerful challenge in both kind of rescuing the past, rescuing history, yeah. and also trying to use that to create a forward-moving present that's viable. As architects, we're now around 17 architects practicing in the office.
7: We don't believe in restoration for the sake of restoration. It's meaningless in in general and in Palestine in specific. When we talk with the people, with the communities where we work in Palestine and, and amongst ourselves, Palestine has no natural resources to count on. Palestine has people and has history. And that history should be able to serve the people. And that's where our role comes. All the buildings we work, all the uh, we work, and all the neighborhoods that we try to regenerate or upgrade serve the purpose of helping people move forward with their life, have a better future for their kids, have better social and economic prospects or potential, depending on what they own originally from their past.
0: How will the Curry Stone Design Prize assist you in this work? I mean, obviously, money. But but how else?
7: Well, I'm starting to get that um, impression of how it's going to help us. I don't know yet. <laughs> but so far, <laughs> the publicity we're getting because of this price is amazing. We're not used to that. We're totally not used to that. Okay, we know we've been there for 21 years. Everyone knows us in Palestine. Almost on the regional level, we have good partnerships. But with the Stone price, we're getting people interviewing us, like yourself. We're getting some press coverage here and there. And I think that's very, very important to get the message out, to say, you know, we know you. We know what you're doing. You're doing a great job. That acknowledgement, that recognition on its own is amazing to us. The other thing is the connection, connection with the world, connection with people like that do similar work to what we do, not necessarily in historic buildings, but in really D&E, using design as a, as a tool for social change. And that connection is, I don't know, it's, it's brilliant. We get to share experiences, we get to talk, we get to ask each other questions and admit where we failed or where we succeeded. That's amazing for us. And I don't know what the future will hold. <laughs> and tomorrow I'm getting, I'm receiving the press on behalf of the of world. And we'll see what the next year holds.
0: Well, it's very exciting. I look forward to hearing more about what you're doing. And I don't know if it's true, maybe none of my friends would say I'm a raving optimist, but I have this feeling that around the world maybe people are waking up to the necessity of coming together in a new way.
7: Well, I agree with you. And, you know, all the news from all over the world with all these things happening, all the deaths, all the wars, everything, but then at the end of the day you go back and you find amazing things happening, not necessarily on a large scale, but these small things happening here and there, they amazing. I, for one, it gives me hope for a better future. Otherwise, I won't be doing what I'm doing now.
0: Right, right. Well, hmm. I, uh, I hope people will go and look at your website. The photographs of your projects are incredible. Some of these really old buildings that you have done, these amazing modern twists to. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have, we are, as I said,
7: 17 architects, and each architect has his or her own style. So we don't interfere. <laughs>
0: no way. <well, laughs> so, it's very exciting looking.
7: It is, it's exciting. It's an exciting job. For us, it's really fun. We're very lucky. We're doing the thing we love to do. So.
0: That's what we should have a world full of people doing, right? Right. I, I think so. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a pleasure to talk with you. And I uh, have a great time here and receiving the prize. And uh, maybe Thank next you. time I come to that part of the world, I'll meet you.
7: Yes, please do. Thank you for having me, and thank you for talking. And I invite anyone to come. Just visit our website and come. We love taking people around to our project. That's part of the fun part.
0: Well, it was really uh, great to speak with Fida and to also check out their website and see the photographs of the work they've done. Really quite incredible. Throughout that interview, I kept thinking about The buildings being bombed, and the people being bombed, and wondering if some of the buildings being bombed are buildings that these folks in Rewak have worked on, and if some of the buildings being bombed are buildings they will then come and work on. So we're going to listen to a little more music, some Palestine-themed music, and then we'll be back to hear about the other prize winners and close out the show. Here is something from Ezra Holbrook called Architect Archetype.
4: Too close for comfort, or just too. The one thing we needed the
2: most
4: They told us our cities would end up in dust Yeah, you want back in my arms someday Yeah, you want back in my arms someday Yeah, you want back in my arms someday That's what other songs say That's what other songs say
9: I will stay away Cause if I dream Then they'll take their Oh, I'll try, I'll try To fight To stay If I dream, then they'll say. It's hard to release what we've done What we can be if we'd only see what we've become It's unbelievable, it's undeniable I won't free, won't sleep, won't dream Won't eat, won't breathe, I won't give in to what's building Send me home oh, oh, oh.
10: while another flattened a five-story building in northern Gaza killing at least seven people, including an infant pushing the death toll to 776 at least half of those killed in the two-week-old conflict were civilians
11: Smoke rises over the land of strength and the wrestlers of God I have forgotten what the wrestle was for So I light a candle and pray a White cloud laced with the sparkle of phosphorus Bursts over the Gaza sea and I can't see Due to my rage Dew blankets me and moisture whispers of midnight As powder blankets Palestine Dust of dismembered concrete, dismembered bone. So tonight that I might sleep, I place blue and white prayer shawl, framing six points of star, Israeli flag in the laundry. I wash from its blood-stained fibers the screams and tears of displacement, Jewish and Arab, my people and yours. I will grow an olive orchard on my windowsill and pray to Jezebel to run from the dogs, restore goddess to her temple. I will polish the boots of Bedouin and harvest salt from my eyes with which to scrub, exfoliate fear of annihilation from the Zionist conscience. I will sing in Hejaz, bending notes into the cries of forgotten warriors until sorrow lifts us off into the melancholy of of moon. And the wrestlers of God have forgotten what the wrestle was for. So I light a candle and pray. I take peace into my soul, and so I take peace. If wind set sail from the shores of my lips, I would wish to heal you with a kiss. I would blow you kisses until mangled trees and blood-soaked shrouds tumbled until the fine dust of desert, fertilizing it for new crops. If rain fell from the lakes of my eyes, I would weep until your buckets were full your gardens lush. If genocide saturates the juices of my sex, the remembrance of mine, my seed, the possibility of yours, then I will keep my sheets dry from love so that your children might be free. So this night I send to you my tears, my kisses, and my chastity. Smoke rises over the land. As smoke rises and the wrestlers of God the wrestlers of God have forgotten the the wrestle was for so i light a candle so i pray soul. Soul. I, take I take peace into my soul i take peace into my soul i take and soul and sow seeds that might one day soul, soul. grow take peace into my soul, my soul I sow take peace into my soul that
0: called Lullaby for Palestine from Saria Idana's Homeless in Homeland album. We also heard Palestine from The Sound of Reason and we started out with Ezra Holbrook, Architect Archetype. Tonight's show has been all about the Curry Stone Design Prize. Now there were two prize winners I was not able to catch up with, Jean Van Heeswijk from Rotterdam and Ilak Diaz from Manila. We just weren't able to make the connections to, to do the interview. They were here. They had such a busy week with the prize and the dinner and the conference that were all part of the Stone Design Prize. But their work is also quite incredible. Check out their websites. Jean Van Hesvik's work is as an artist, but it seems to me that her, her medium is life, She's an artist, but her medium is life more than it would be paint or, or sculpture. It's life. And so if you go to her website, you'll find it extremely nonlinear and interesting to try and figure out what exactly is going on. But you can figure it out, and it's an interesting exercise to do so. And the work she's doing, helping people build community, is priceless. Really wonderful. So I'm sorry I didn't get to speak with with John, but I love seeing what her work is about. And the other person I didn't get to speak with was Ilak Diaz from Leader of Light in the Philippines, one of the projects of the My Shelter Foundation. So definitely go to the website, check out the video about Leader of Light, learn about what Ilak has been doing and the incredible simple, low-tech solutions that the My Shelter Foundation is bringing to people around the world. Really exciting. With all of the, there's a word in Yiddish, mishigas, it means craziness. With all the craziness in the world, with all the violence and misunderstandings and all of the human issues that are too numerous to name, and I say this without a sense of hope or optimism actually. I have a feeling that things are changing, that human beings are beginning to wake up en masse to our situation. The winners of this year's Curry Stone Design Prize and all of the years, and this is their fifth year, are all doing things that are part of creating change for people on Earth, but it's more than just what their projects are. It's the fact that they're doing them. These are other human beings who are awake to our situation and who are seeking to improve it, which is really different from just sort of noticing and going, oh, that something's not right. These folks are actively engaged in making things better, which is something we can all do. And something I think deep down we all want to do is to be part of making things better. So... I hope you'll definitely go to the Currystone Design Prize website. Check out the films about this year's and last year's winners. Let yourself be inspired. And if there are projects that you have in your mind or that you're involved with, I hope you go for it. Let your inspiration guide you. You never know what you might come up with and how it might help change the world. So that's another episode of Paradigms. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Next week, the uh, actor and author Sarah Miles will be with us talking about her new book, Boy and the Bees, and her life as an actress and musician. So lots of cool stuff coming up as we're heading into the winter season. I hope you have a great week. We're going to end the show tonight with the reprise of Derek Jordan's Touch the Earth. This is... Uh, second version of it that he put on the album. So we're going to close with that. Baruch saying have a great week from Paradigms on WBKM. on WBKM.org.